little over a year ago, in July 2013, our denomination, the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, gathered together in Orlando, Florida, for General Assembly, the gathering of the whole church together. And it was my second General Assembly, but the first as a disciples minister. And I was excited. There was a lot of anticipation leading into this gathering for decades. Our denomination had been officially in discernment over the controversial issue of sexual orientation and how our church as a denomination should and could welcome those who may be gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgendered. And 2013 was set as the year for the discernment to end and action to happen. One of the phrases repeated throughout the assembly on t-shirts and on signs was, all means all. The statement was meant to be a challenge by those who printed it. Our church identity statement, as we've read over the last few weeks and pieces, says that we welcome all to the Lord's table as Christ has welcomed us. And the question being asked was, well, that's what we say, but is that what we do? Does all really mean all? During the business sessions of General Assembly, we we have a lot of fun or not fun, as some may call it. And we debate controversial issues uh, through what is called a resolution, something that is brought before the assembly by a congregation, a group of congregations, or a ministry of the church. Resolutions are usually around social issues, and we as disciples, we got to remember, no one can tell us what to do. That's what makes us disciples, right? So these resolutions are passed, and they are non-binding statements, But that doesn't mean that they're not important. They are statements that the gathered church makes to the rest of the church to bring about conversation, to inspire action and change. And so this year, 2013, a resolution was brought that attempted to change our conversation on welcome. The resolution was called, attractively, number 1327, otherwise known as becoming a people of grace And welcome to all. Now, it's about a page long, so I'll only read the end, which is the chunk of the the, the resolution. There's lots of whereases and therefore let it be's, uh, because that makes it official, I think. But at the end, it reads, the general assembly, that is the gathered body of the church, calls upon the Christian church disciples of Christ to recognize itself as striving to become a people of grace and welcome to all God's children, though differing in race, gender, age, sexual orientation, gender, identity, nationality, ethnicity, marital status, physical or mental ability, political stance, or theological perspective. We call upon the church to affirm the faith, baptism, and spiritual gifts of all Christians, regardless of their sexual orientation, and that neither is grounds for exclusion for fellowship or service within the church, and that churches should acknowledge their support for the welcome of and hospitality to all. Well, I'll never forget the atmosphere on the convention floor as the resolution was being debated. Those who spoke 
against it stood on one side by one microphone and those for it by another. Those speaking against shared their struggle that they had with scriptures, words of God that they believed condemned homosexuality. They loved the church. They loved scripture and they wanted their church to be faithful. But even more than that, I was amazed to hear in their voices fear, fear that this resolution might become something that divided the church, that they may no longer feel welcome in the church they dearly loved. Those speaking in favor of the resolution shared their own story of coming to terms with their lifestyle, with their orientation, with that of a loved one or a child. They too loved scripture. And they loved their church and they shared stories of how they had felt unwelcomed. Everyone on all sides of the debate were respectful and loving heard each other out, even though they disagreed. And when it was time time to vote, we were asked to stand in support of this resolution. And I, along with three-fourths of those gathered, stood proudly for this resolution, knowing that we were not who we should be, but we were a church striving to follow Christ. And after it was passed, there was no applause. We just prayed. Our general minister and president, uh, Reverend Sharon Watkins, led the General Assembly in prayer together, a prayer for unity in the midst of disagreement, a prayer that all would be welcome in our church, no matter who they were. Now, I don't know how everyone here feels about this conversation because it is a difficult one. It's one that touches on who we are as human beings, who God is, and how we read God's word. And there's a lot to be said, and we can and should say it and have those conversations as we discern God's will for us as a church here and now. And we can disagree and still love, welcome, and support one another. But what we cannot do is ignore the conversation. Because many people, particularly young people, are turning their backs on the church because they feel that the church is a place that is not welcome. They live lives of welcome and acceptance in their schools, in their homes, in their lives, and they will not wait for the church to come around to where they are. We cannot ignore the conversation. Now, the text Randy read a few moments ago is one of the most difficult in all of Scripture, a text that, well, we'd rather ignore because it really comes very close to home. In this text, Jesus doesn't present himself as some king or some celebrity. He's not a friend and he's not a member of our family or our church. Jesus comes to us in this text as the one who is hungry, as the one who is thirsty, the one who is naked, the stranger, one who is sick, one who is imprisoned. It is not in the familiar or the friendly that Jesus is seen, but in the face of the stranger, in the face of the one who would make us uncomfortable and vulnerable. We say all are welcome. We sing it. We read it. And I believe it is true 
This is a church that welcomes all. But I also believe that welcome is the kind of work that we are always about. There's always more to do. I have work to do to be a person that is more welcoming, to live into that statement. Because here's the thing. When we say all are welcome, well, people may believe us. When all are welcome, you never know who might walk through those doors. And welcome makes us vulnerable. Welcoming isn't just a sign or a saying. It is a way of life. To be a church that welcomes all is to be a church that invites all actively. A church that keeps its doors open no matter who may come through. A church that always makes room at the table for more people. Welcoming all is to welcome in those that make us uncomfortable, not just our friends or those who look and think like us, not just people who will be active in ministry and give generously. Welcoming all is welcoming those who may take more than they can give. Welcoming all is welcoming those who may push us far beyond our comfort and cause us to rethink what we believe. Welcoming all means that we can't always do the things the way we've always done things. It means priorities sometimes have to change in order to make others feel welcome. Welcoming all is welcoming everyone, no matter how different they may be, welcoming them as if we are welcoming Christ. For that's what Jesus says we are doing. And if we turn away those who are not like us, those who make us vulnerable, we turn away Jesus. Whatever you did to the least of these, Jesus says, you did to me. Now, I grew up believing that God hated gay people. And then, well, God gave me a gay roommate in college, Christian college. I was supposed to be safe from such things. And I saw firsthand how my roommate, Wes, dealt with rejection from his church, from his family. I was his second roommate, and you know why. I saw how hard he struggled trying to like girls, going to therapy every week, trying to force himself to be different. I saw him on his knees in tears, praying for God to take it away. I saw him almost this close give up on God. We went to seminary together in Abilene, Texas, and there of all places, he found a church that welcomed him, just as he was, showed him God's love. This church saved his life. And as I saw that new joy, that, that, that love, that calling to ministry that he experienced in that place, I was changed. When our seminary found out what he was doing about his church, that he was gay, they took away his scholarship. They weren't bold enough to just kick him out, so they just took the passive-aggressive route. And you know who ended up welcoming him in? Bright Divinity School a Disciples of Christ seminary. He had to drive the three hours to Fort Worth, but they gave him a full ride, and he graduated top of his class today, serving a church in St. Louis that is a beacon of God's love. I learned what it meant 
to welcome someone into my life because it wasn't something I went looking for. It just happened. And through Wes, Christ changed me. Other than Marty, no one has had such a profound impact on my life. And I spent a lot of time wrestling, a lot of years wrestling, but I have become convinced that God does love us and welcomes us. All does mean all. Now, that's my story. I hope you don't mind me being personal and honest this morning. Because I know you have a story too. Someone who you've welcomed in. Someone who has changed you. Someone who was different but impacted you forever. Who is that person? Who will be that person? God's love is big enough for us all. All our flaws, all our imperfections. Every one of us are God's children. Though differing in race and gender, in age and orientation, in identity, in nationality, in ethnicity, in marital status, physical or mental ability, political stance or theological perspective, God welcomes us all. God's love is big enough for us all. Let us build a house where all are welcomed. For in this place, there's always enough love for every one of us, for you and for me. Let us sing of this love, number 295, in this very room, verses 1 and 2.